come into the Word tonight, and then uh, just depending on how the time is, we should have some extra time tonight to pray for one another and respond with one another. Uh, We don't have a country of focus this week, um, and so those are good times because we just get to pray for local the local church here and the people that are here. But um, chapter 7, verse 1, actually ties in better to chapter 6. And so this last Sunday we covered verse 1 in our teaching. Um, but just something's been burning on my heart so wonderfully from uh, Sunday's message. And I just wanted to kind of recap it and and affirm it in our hearts, Um, and uh, it says, let's go ahead and go back to verse 16, Um, all right, just go back to 14, might as well, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Okay, so uh, there in verse 16, we have that word for. Okay, so all of this, don't be unequally yoked to non-believers. And don't, you know, there's no fellowship or communion between uh, unrighteousness and wickedness or evil or lawlessness or light and darkness um, or a temple or a, a rather Christ with the worthless devil, um, a believer with an unbeliever or the temple of God with idols. So all of these contrasting things that couldn't be more different. Uh, get away from it is what Paul is saying. Because you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Um, and if you've got a highlighter or a pen or you're looking at your phone right now and you've got an app where you can highlight bright pink or something to just make these last two verses of the chapter stand out, last three verses, 16 through 18, because this is gospel, you guys. This is good news. These are what we call redemptive indicatives, okay? These are signs in the Bible that show us that God has done it and has saved us. And then we go into um, verse one, therefore. Okay, so because of these signs that God has saved us and these precious promises, it says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Charles Hodge said, this verse properly belongs to the preceding chapter. Uh, They tie in, it ties in better with those previous verses than the following verses. Um, Now, uh, 
real quick, as we look at these promises that God will dwell with us, walk among us, be our God, we're to come out uh, because he's going to be a father to us, verse 18, and we will be his sons and daughters. Here's what Hodge says about the, that wonderful redemptive indicative. It says, so the promise, I will be their God and they shall be my people, contains more than it has ever entered into the heart of man to conceive. So just tonight, let's, let's try to like tune in and focus and let this saturate us because it's so true. Like we just blow over those verses and in my Bible, they're in italic and they're a quote from the old Testament and you know, let's come on and get to some new Testament stuff. Like this is gospel pure. All right. This is, this is good redemptive news for us. And so Let's let it enter into our heart tonight. Let's let it soak in. As Hodge goes on to say, how low are our conceptions of God, of necessity, our conceptions of what it is to have a God, and that God, Jehovah, must be entirely inadequate. It is not only to have an infinite protector and benefactor, but an infinite portion an infinite object of love and confidence, an infinite source of knowledge and holiness. It is for God to be to us what he designed to be when he created us after his image and filled us with his fullness. Okay, so these 16 through 18 of chapter 6 ought to just cause our heart to leap that he will be our God again and we will be his people. He will be our father and we will be his sons and daughters. We'll go back to the garden state that was pre-fall because of the gospel. Just to finish this quote, his people are those whom he recognizes as his peculiar property the objects of his love and the recipients of his favors. And so because of that good news that we just sometimes are either too lazy to really ponder it or we've neglected this wonderful truth or we get focused on other things, uh, this is really the, the boiled down soul and substance of Genesis through Revelation. God will be glorified in sending his son to save sinners and reconcile them to himself. Okay? So don't get distracted by other stuff. Okay? Uh, remember just the pure uh, meta narrative of the word of God. And so, having those promises, let's cleanse ourselves from both filthiness of flesh and filthiness of spirit. And sometimes filthiness of spirit is harder to cleanse than filthiness of flesh. Because our filthiness of flesh is clearly evident for all to see. They quickly can call us out on it, you know, or we catch ourselves. But the filthiness of the spirit is sometimes a whole lot more quiet and subtle and difficult to, um, to catch. And so we need the Holy Spirit to just be that radar in our heart that David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. 
Um, and then, so there's, there's two, okay, so um, I've told you the redemptive indicative, okay? Um, you can break it down to be a lot simpler. Um, the indicators of redemption. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you guys t- call it your blinker light on your car. Beep, 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 beep. Some people call it the indicator, right? It's indicating that you're turning. Uh, in the Bible, we've got blinkers, okay? We've got indicators. And there's all these indicators what God has done for us in the Bible. It, they should have sirens and sounds and bright flashing lights. And every time you come to them in the Bible, you should mark them with a special colored highlighter or put a giant star and a circle around them because that leads to everything else that God is calling us to, okay? Uh, which is called, what he's calling us to is called moral imperatives, okay? Which means it's necessary to live a certain way now because of what he's done for us, because of what we're having indicated in the Bible, okay? If I were to give you all of the moral indicative, um, I'm sorry, moral imperatives, um, things that you must do without giving you the redemptive indicatives, then I've become a legalist, okay? Or I've become... um, a moralist, all right? And I'm no different than the Jews of Jesus' day that put a yoke on people's neck that neither they nor their fathers could bear, or I'm no different than Mormons, J-dubs, Muslims, they've got all that figured out fine enough, given a yoke on people's necks, (laughs) okay? But when you give them both together, the indicators with the imperatives, no longer is it something that I have to do, it's something that I get to do because of what he's done for me. And so I don't do it to appease him. That's already been done by Jesus at the cross. I do it now to please him. Okay? All right? So let me, uh, one, one thing I read this week was from Barnett's giant stake of a commentary. <laughs> Little gristle in it. <laughs> But he closes with this. Paul's exhortation to cultic separation or to get out from among the cults and idols is based on the gracious actions of God arising from his promises now fulfilled. Quote, unquote. Having these promises. Okay? Having these promises. A principle that applies when Paul presses the demands of Christian living on his readers. Okay? So whenever Paul or James or Peter are pressing the demands of Christian living on you, you gotta, you gotta look for the flashing lights of the gospel around it. Okay? They're there. You just gotta look for them. Alright? Imperative rests on indicative, okay? So what you've got to do for Jesus rests on what he's already done for you, okay? Imperative, it's imperative that you do this, rests on he's indicated what he's done for you, okay? Or ought rests on is, okay? So if you ever hear from us at this church, you ought to do this, by God's grace, and may he never let us slip up, it'll never be by itself like that, okay? 
you ought to do this. You ought to serve. You ought to give. You ought to be there. You ought to go here. You ought to, you know, anything like that. It's always upon is who you are in Jesus, what he's done for you is and has. Okay. And that will motivate us. It brings the power for it. But anything else that's just by itself of you ought to do this or that compromises the gospel of grace. And sadly, 90% of the churches, and I look back on much of my own teaching life, and they, they miss it. And it's not gospel-centered preaching and teaching. It's moralistic preaching and teaching. And that is the soul and substance of every false religion out there. Okay? Now, what this is, so you know, I've kind of said that this is kind of like school ministry night, right? A little bit. Okay? We have got to train ourselves in that. Okay? You see a verse like, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but let us draw all the more together and so much more as we see the day approaching. That by itself, that by itself is legalism. Unless you go up about 10 verses before it, where Jesus is offering up himself as a sacrifice for our sins and his blood sprinkles us from an evil conscience and sets us apart for good works. Okay? That's Hebrews 10. Or Ephesians chapter 5. Wives love your husbands. Bam, I just laid the law down on you right there. Right? Don't you ever divorce verse 22 of Ephesians 5 from... Ephesians chapters 1 through 4, which is high gospel and only gospel. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, which is a hinge verse that goes from gospel to ought to do and imperative stuff. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit of God, powerfully moving in your life, wives, you can submit to your husbands. Husbands, you can love your wives. Children, you can obey your parents. Masters, you can be gracious to your employees. You know, so on and so forth. So important, you guys. So important because we catch all the time, all the time, even this week, people warning us and calling us legalists because we're calling people to action. Now, anytime we are calling to action, it's got to have the gospel with it. And that's our goal. That's our goal is to never just throw down a list of rules and requirements and all of that upon you guys because there's no power to it. There's only condemnation. That's the ministry of the Old Testament. Okay? The ministry of the New Testament is Jesus has done it, so let's respond by living for him. Okay? So whenever you guys... so. That should be like, there should be little things now that start, flags would come up if you ever hear someone, you know, in whatever context, throw out legalism or obligate, you know, words like legalist, legalism. Um, who could give me a quick biblical definition of legalism? What would legalism be? Bound by the law. Bound by the law? Okay. Uh, and so we're... We're working out the law to appease God, bound by the law in that sense. 
circumcision is, is one of the high New Testament examples of um, someone who's trying to keep the law to be saved, exactly. Um, the crux of it, the crux of it, in Acts chapter 15 is where we see the crux of it, is that if you're ever telling someone that they have to do something to be saved, that's the crux. I mean, so bound by the law to be saved, circumcised to be saved. That's, that's where it's become legalism and it's an affront to the gospel, okay? Um, but whenever, you know, you read, uh, what was I reading? Jesus saying today. Um, oh, so when Jesus first starts his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so he's calling us to action and that action is coupled with faith and believing in the gospel. So that's just a little bit of, you know, just if we want to be biblical, right? We want to be a biblical church and we don't have the market on this or anything like that. We're just studying the gospel and reading the word of God and the more you read the word of God, the more that you see the context of it all is that the ought to is always resting upon the is and has. And the imperatives are always upon the gospel indicatives. Okay? So I know those are like big words and things like that. You guys are talking to like a Lakeview High School graduate, welder, farmer, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, like, you guys will get it, okay? You guys can get it, all right? But as we exhort each other, we're going to start hearing things and we can start encouraging each other about uh, the gospel, all right? So, because we have the precious promises, cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh, let's cleanse ourselves and be pure in the spirit, and let's pursue and perfect holiness in the fear of God. <clears throat> that all took a lot longer than I thought it was going to, but um, I know, so much for that extra time. It looks like we won't be praying for each other tonight. Um, but, you know, we've got guys here that are elder candidates, which is so cool, you know, that they're just being raised up to be elders here. Such an exciting time. Um, you know, we've got some elders, an elder here right now, and, you know, he knows this, but um, you guys, core group leaders, and you guys are being raised up in various ways, and children's ministry workers, and you know, so it goes on and on, but you're going to start catching this stuff because you're being equipped right now, and you're going to be able to encourage your brothers and sisters, like either that you're actually being, that's, that's legalist. Something we found this last year is that people have called us legalists and the ironic thing is they're actually being legalists in that. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, you know. Um, and so we've got to know the word and we've got to know grace in the gospel. Okay. Um, I do believe that this should go pretty, pretty smooth tonight. Tonight's uh, one of those bigger texts that Paul's kind of dealing with some of those issues with the Corinthians um, in that rough patch that they've been coming out of, and those tend to go a little 
quicker for us um, on these Wednesday nights. So, uh, verse 2 of chapter 7. I just feel like we need one more teaching moment. Okay? Redemptive indicatives lead to moral imperatives. Okay? Can we all say that together? So over on this hand, redemptive indicatives lead to moral imperatives. Okay? Redemptive indicatives lead to moral imperatives. All right? Sometimes just doing that kind of helps seal the deal. Nope, not at all, huh? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Me neither. <laughs> All right. So, verse 2. Open your hearts to us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. So back in the last chapter, Paul has dealt with worldliness that has kept the Corinthians from having an open relationship with Paul. Okay? Uh, there in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says almost the same thing. Oh, Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Okay? So he kind of repeats that. He got away from it for a second. So there in verse 11 through 13, he was like, man, won't you reciprocate the deep love that we have for you? Man, the only reason you won't love us back is because you have affections that are holding you back, affections that have roots in idolatry, darkness, wickedness, and demonism. Those affections are pulling you away from all out, reckless abandon to the Lord and having fellowship with us. And so the Lord put his finger on a bunch of our hearts on Sunday of those things that would be holding us back. Um, and so he, he comes back to, so now that you've repented of that, hopefully, and, and um, because of the good news of the gospel, you've purified the flesh and the spirit, and you guys probably stopped reading my letter and had a little prayer meeting, and now we're coming back to the word. Now, come, come to me. Come to me, my children. You know, come love me back. And then he, you know, he says, I have room in my heart. You open up your heart and, and create some room for me there. And I think, once again, there's a good word there for us. Um, You know, as Chronicles of Narnia says a few different times in a couple of their books, as the children are on their adventures with their dream world of magic friends, I don't know, know, uh, and they're shouting out, higher up and further in, as they're on their way to be with Aslan, as they're on their way to the kingdom of heaven. Higher up and further in, higher up and further in, and they're climbing up cliffs and going through waterfalls and just up and up and up and higher and up and up, up and up. That's like a motto of my life. And I desire it to be one of yours. Always pressing in, always going in deeper, deeper into the things of the Lord, more fervent, more on fire, having more ardor and passion for Jesus. Whether you're, you know, 70, whether you're 30, whether you're 15, 12, like higher up and further in. Amen. All right. So If there's anything that's stopping you from the higher up and the further in. And again, we're just trying to get that higher up and everything from the Bible. Okay, We don't want to put anything on you that the Bible doesn't call us to. If you're being balked, it's because of your own affections. And perhaps some idolatry in your heart. And Paul just again says three offenses that he did not commit to them. We've wronged no one. 
right? We've harmed no one or hurt or injured anybody, acted unjustly or mistreated anyone. Secondly, we've corrupted no one. We, we haven't destroyed anyone or ruined anyone or caused them to become sinful or depraved. We've cheated no one. And, you know, Paul's kind of referencing, you know, he's got like this big treasure of money that he's going to be taking down to the hurting people in Judea. He's been trusted with that. And he's like, I haven't been cheating with your money. And, uh, you know, we've cheated no one. We've exploited no one. Now, Paul's a man. Paul's a human. He's probably failed in many different areas. He's going to talk about a letter that he wrote that at first he wasn't sure if he should have written it. Um, You know, uh, it doesn't mean that he's faultless. But this has certainly been his intent with a pure heart of integrity before the Lord to not have have wronged anyone or hurt anyone. And by God's grace, that's what we want as well. Um, Verse 3, I don't say this to condemn, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So I'm not saying that you were the ones that were wrong. You know, I'm just saying... Man, it's never been my heart before the Lord to to wrong and hurt and cheat and steal from anyone. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, verse 4. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I I brag about you. You know, you're you're my kids. You're my kids in the faith. I'm bold in the way I brag about you. I tell people about you. I, I remember Acts chapter 18 and Man, what a story, huh? What a story of church planting. You know, there we were in the synagogue and preaching the gospel and we were rejected by the Jews there. And I dusted off my garments and said, from now on I go to the Gentiles. And I went next door to uh, Justice's house and, and uh, you know, we started a Bible study and, and you know, people were getting saved. And, and you, you remember when Crispus, the synagogue leader, came over and joined us? I mean, that's like epic. That Books are written about that. I mean, I mean, the Nepal team comes back and they talk about the, the Buddhist Lama getting saved and coming and worshiping and the, reading the Bible with them. Man, that's like, man, you got to write that down in a book, you know, put it on your blog or whatever, you know. Man, I, I talk about you guys. We've gone through hard things, but man, you guys are on my heart. I live for you. I eat for you. I sleep for you. I breathe for you. I die for you. I'm exceedingly joyful, even in all of our rough stuff that we've been through. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7, he kind of brags you know, about him. He's like, I understand that you guys have more spiritual gifts than anybody else. Man, you've got things that, man, you're strong in some really incredible areas. Verse 5, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest or relief. But we were troubled oppressed, afflicted on every side. Outside were conflicts or severe clashings, but inside were fears. And it just helps real quick if you remember the history of this and the sequence of events. What is Paul writing about? Things were going badly among the Christians in Corinth. That was the report um, from Chloe's household in 1 Corinthians. And so he, he writes to them, 1 Corinthians, and he writes correcting things that were going wrong. He rebukes him. He says, this letter's a bit of a spanking to you. And so he, he rebukes him and corrects him, and, and it didn't really go over too well. Um, you know, we know that there were some people there that were trying to undermine Paul and, and question his faithfulness and his, you know, making fun of his physical appearance and his speech and that he's weak when he's there with them. And, you know, uh, you know people balk whenever you rebuke him and correct him, and, and they didn't like it anymore than we do when we're in Prineville, you know. And, uh, 
And so things were going badly there. It was a rough patch. And so in attempt to get them back, Paul made a quick unplanned visit and just like shows up there. And sadly, it did not go well. It did not go well. There was some kind of a conflict there. And Paul seems to reference one guy that was just the, the, the rebel rouser leader in this group. And, and he basically left what was called a sorrowful visit. And so after that, he decided not to visit Corinth again, but he decided to send Titus to them. Here's a guy I can send to represent me, but he's a guy that's just gentle and he'll be able to communicate with them. And he'll also be the Pony Express to take this letter I'm going to send that I call my sorrowful letter. Okay, it's a, it's a letter that he says, I wrote with many tears. The ink was, in a sense, running because of the tears that he stained the page with. Um, so Titus goes with this letter, and for quite a while, Paul doesn't hear back from Titus. In fact, Paul travels to Troas, which is on the edge of Asia Minor, right before um, a body of water. I don't remember which body of water it would be, but that goes over, across the water is Europe and Macedonia, which whenever you hear Macedonia, that's basically Europe. Um, Philippi uh, is that main Macedonian city. Uh, and so he says, here I am, I'm on the, if you've got a map in the back of your Bible, you can see it. Uh, he says, so I'm waiting for Titus to tell me what's going on with you guys. Uh, I'm in Troas, and incredibly, there's an open door for the gospel. And so he says that here, that uh, we, we were... Um, I'm sorry, so I'm, I'm mixing two different verses up. But So they're in, he's in Troas, and the Lord opens up a door for ministry. And you guys, when the Lord opens up a door for ministry, that is exciting. I know some of you guys are meeting with different people, and as you meet with them, there's like fruit, and they're like turning from their sin, and they're pursuing a relationship with God. And I mean, even if it's one couple. Isn't that exciting? You know, I mean, you only imagine what Paul means when he says an open door in Troas by the sea. I mean, we're probably talking a book of Acts type revival here, something to write home to mama about, you know, this is really exciting. And, and he says, but you know what, because I was so anxious to hear back from Titus about what's going on with you guys, I couldn't, couldn't do this open door ministry. And I had to go over to Macedonia probably to Philippi and be with the Philippians and just some friends and, and just wait out a period where I got some gray hairs and wrinkles worrying, <laughs> you know? I mean, I've never been there where there's such an open door that you just, I got to turn away from this open door because I got so much, you know, that's, Paul knows though, <laughs> Paul knows. Um, and so while he's there in Macedonia kind of waiting he says, our bodies had no rest. Oh, just, oh, oh no, oh, oh, I wonder how it's going. I wonder how they received my sorrowful letter. Oh, I wonder, oh no, you know, uh, we had no relief. He says, we were troubled, which means we were oppressed and afflicted on every side. Perhaps there was, you know, probably no doubt some persecution going on, but, you know, outside were conflicts, a severe clashing, and inside myself, I was just afraid what, what was going on in your guys' hearts. Verse 6, nevertheless, God. And you guys, that is always, 
That is like the sun rising on a dark and scary night. <laughs> because you got, oh, outside conflicts, inside fears. Oh, I had no rest. Not ever, I never rest. I never relief. But God. There's quite a few New Testament passages like that where there's no hope but God. And so maybe you're in a place where you're like Paul tonight. Where outside you've got conflicts going on. Inside, you've got fear going on. And why don't you memorize these two words tonight? Nevertheless, God. God who comforts the downcast. As David says, why are you so cast down, O my soul? Why do you doubt, O my soul? Place your hope in God, O oh my soul, and I will be glad. So you go from downcast to putting your hope in the Lord, and there's gladness. And nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, he, Paul has already said he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. God comforted Paul by the coming of Titus. In this case, broad, broad got, God brought comfort through the coming of Titus. And I've told the story before, but this is why we named our son Titus. Um, I didn't realize there, I had forgotten, but this is not the same Titus from the book of Titus. This is a different Titus, and he's a Titus of 2 Corinthians who is a comforter. Titus Hart Rogers. Titus the encourager is what heart means courageous encourager and he's named after this titus in second corinthians um he comforted us when he came verse seven and not only by his coming that was comforting just having him there his smile he's kind of a barnabas you know barnabas his name was joseph but they nicknamed him barnabas son of encouragement do you guys have any of those guys in your life or gals in your life? Just, man, when you see them, just being by them is all you really needed. But then they open up their mouth and bring a good report or a prayer or a scripture or a word of encouragement. And you guys, be a Barnabas. <laughs> be a Barnabas. Ask the Lord for that in your life, a spiritual gift of encouragement. Be a Titus, someone who brings courage into situations. It, I cannot tell you what that does. Just one phone call, just one note, one. In fact, I have a, I don't even know, this is maybe from you. I don't know who this is. I didn't get to read it. It was on my pulpit on Sunday. And all I saw was one little thing about something encouraging. I didn't catch it. It was something that I was just like, that's just encouraging. And you guys just be a Barnabas. Just a note, just to each other. Be that. Bring someone up out of a downcast state. When he told Paul about, first of all, the earnest desire of the Corinthians, that they had a deep desire and a longing for him and for what he was teaching, that they were a group of mourners for what's been going on, just lamenting and weeping. He Titus brought a report that there were still Corinthians there that had a zeal for Paul. People that were jealous for Paul. People that, he's our father, man. Back off, Paul. Quit 
Quit trying to undermine Paul. Quit trying to talk about his frail, weak condition and his words. You need to stop. I am jealous for my Paul. I am ardent and on fire and fervent and zealous for my Paul. And when he heard that, it says, so I rejoiced even the more. And what even the more means, I rejoiced instead. I rejoiced instead of being troubled anymore. Verses 8 through 11 will be our text from for this Sunday. And it just says, uh, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. And so... That's our text for this uh, Sunday, and the title of this Sunday will be Godly Sorrow That Brings Repentance. And will you guys just be praying this Sunday that the Lord would do a work of just touching hearts and breaking our hearts over our sin, brokenness, that people would fall on the rock and be broken. So that he wouldn't have to fall on them and grind them to powder. I got a a text this Sunday from um, a mom of one of the players I used to coach baseball two years ago. And for two years, she's been wanting to come to the church. For some reason, she hasn't come without him. But she's been begging her husband to come, come, come. And he'd say things like, I don't need God. I've got a dog. Get it? D-O-G. You know, whatever. Just like totally like needs God. (laughs) And she texted me and she said, finally, after my pleading and many different friends referring him to Calvary Chapel, we're supposed to be coming this Sunday. And she just was like, woohoo, you know. And so be praying for just a guy who is in idolatry and that he would have godly sorrow just broken brokenness uh, that would bring repentance that would bring salvation but not only in him um, in the men and women in our church you know that God wants to bring healing and restoration and um, salvation so be praying for that uh, for this Sunday and you might just read over that text again and again and again and just keep praying for this Sunday it's kind of fun to teach it this way where I know what I'm teaching this Sunday and to be able to be like, you guys know now. It's a bit of a spoiler alert, which I don't like, but you know now, so start praying. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who'd done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who'd suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. So, uh, he kind of 
the reason he wrote the letter of sorrow. He could be speaking about the brother who was sinning in um, immorality with his father's wife, or he could be referring to the man who uh, was trying to undermine Paul's authority and apostleship. But the main reason for the letter of sorrow was to show deep care for the Corinthians. And let's look at a few verses here. Um, Mark, will you read Proverbs 27, 5 through 6? So Paul's relationship was one of confronting and openly rebuking, but that is better than, uh, uh, than deceitful kisses from an enemy. Uh, these are, these are, this is words of wisdom. Um, Marilyn, will you read Proverbs 3.12? It'll be up there if you want to read it there. All right. So Paul writes hard stuff. You know, he, it's hard, but he's like, it's just because I love you guys. Just because I love you, uh, just like the Father, he corrects us. Uh, Revelation 3.19. Uh, Jeremy, you want to read that? Katie, will you read Hebrews 12, 5 through 8? And so just the, the reason Paul wrote those things was uh, not so much for the guy that was erring, not so much for any, but man, to show you my deep love. Now, that is true, um, but the confrontation and church discipline it is actually for the good of all of those people. Um, it's for the good of the erring brother, that they might be reconciled and come back. It's for the good of the church, so that the church is kept pure. And it's for the good of the name of Christ, as he is displayed to a watching world. Listen to what Alistair Begg says. The Bible proclaims and history proves that unbelievers have always been drawn more effectively amongst believers brought into Christian communities where there has been a radical difference among the people of God when it comes to life, money, sex, and the tongue. When people see the church is no different than the world, they can either settle down comfortably or walk back out the door and conclude that this Jesus makes no difference whatsoever because there are things going on in that church that doesn't even go on in our office, our sorority, or when we take vacations on the weekend. And so, confronting people in their sin, it's actually for the good of our witness and testimony to the world. So that when they come in here, they see, wow, there is something different about this Jesus. He is holy. And I am not. And I need him. Um, Mark Driscoll and Gary Brashears wrote in Vintage Church, the church that refuses to exercise discipline can command neither the world's respect nor the confidence of its own members. And so, confrontation and discipline that, of course, hopefully is a small thing that never has to turn into anything huge. Um, it's for the good of the individual. It's for the, the good of the church. It's for the good of the world. And it's for the glory of Christ. Verse 13, therefore we've been comforted by, uh, therefore we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So Titus was encouraged and refreshed by the Corinthians and I tried to find it tonight, uh, it must be in our drawer, you know what drawer that is, and, uh, but it was a letter from Cynthia uh, about our, her trip here and being in Prineville and just how encouraged and loved 
she was here. And she just loved this place. She told me many times, the Lord calls her back from Nepal, man. She's moving to Prineville. Uh, and so uh, Titus also was encouraged when he was visiting the Corinthians. Verse 14 and 15. For if, anything I've boasted to, for if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you and in everything. So, as a father boasts about his son, a son who might be struggling and bumbling and fumbling along through life, but dad is still proud of his son and boasts in his son, when dad gets a report that the son has stood in integrity and in character and he's turned from sin and he's turned from wicked ways and he's affirmed those things that dad has boasted about, it makes dad all the more full of joy in his son. And that's what Paul is, is expressing here. The Corinthians are like that son, that not perfect by any means, just struggling through life and struggling with carnality. But, but man, Titus brings a report that they've been obedient to Paul. They long for Paul. They, they want to be on fire and, and turn away from their sins. And, and Paul is just... It's a, a neat moment in the letter here because he's just overwhelmed with joy. And in chapter 8, he's going to get into some good, more, some good more exhortation to them uh, to be faithful to the things that they said they were going to do. 